There we go. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? All right. All right, everyone, let's just stand today. We're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to start with a prayer to start off. Lord, I just thank you for bringing us here today. Um, and even though it's cold again, we don't like it. Um, we're not very happy about anything. Um, but, God, let us be happy in you. Let us just uh, rest in your presence, just worship you, and just celebrate um, all that you have to give to us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody says amen. You put your hands together today. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors, he parted the raging sea, my God who holds the victory, yeah. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet, we shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord, our God is surely Oh, oh, oh. 
thank you we can come to worship you today and whatever you have for us today that we are excited about it and so we ask that your holy spirit just as we ask for it um, we're desperate for it and it'll come here
believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Catholic Church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sins. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. Amen. Good Sunday so far? Awesome. All right, so um, we're going to look at a couple things today. We're going to look at our prayer list here today. I also want to ask if you um, had a prayer request that you didn't get in. Um, you can do that online um, through Haven CC or other ways. And we want to go ahead and make sure that those, those get in and, and Debbie will send those things out. Um, remember the days. It's so much easier now. So now anybody remember the days of the prayer chain where somebody called somebody and called somebody else? Um, we still kind of do some of that as well. But we can get a lot of things out in, in a way. Um, so just... Uh, Jen Legullo asked for prayers for Jessica Klassen and her family on the sudden loss of her husband on Tuesday. Um, Lou had a successful surgery. And for Patty George and family, lift them in your prayers as well. And Holly's asked for um, prayers for a weight loss journey, which every, anyone who's been through that knows that's extremely, extremely difficult. Um, you ever realize, like, the food that's, um, that doesn't uh, taste as good um, costs more, too? Um, and it's always like that. So um, anyway, that's why I'm looking forward to that new body and that uh, feast in heaven. Um, and then also Carol asked for prayers for uh, Greg Harvey and family. Uh, Greg will be going to hospice this week um, to help with pain uh, management um, and home care. And then also continue to lift uh, Patty's grandson, Caden, in your prayers. Um, he was supposed to go to Bryn Mawr. had some, some setbacks that we look at, but they were able to get, that, get those cleaned up um, so far, and we're hoping that he can get to Bryn Mawr to begin rehab. Um, for those who don't know, he's 18 years old and had um, something burst in his, in his brain, and he's lost the use of a lot of his left side, but he is starting to grab and lift his hands up, so we're thankful to God that um, he just needs to get to the place, and we're trusting for complete recovery. Okay? All right, so let's go to God in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. We also give you praise for all these prayer requests that we've lifted up, for Greg Harvey and family, for Jessica Klassen and their, their family, for Lou who had a successful surgery, for whatever um, the George family is going through, for anybody who's dealing with weight loss or other kinds of uh, things and struggles. God, we know that um, you are very present in every aspect of our lives, and for that we give you uh, praise and honor. Um, today we, we go ahead and we're um, going to talk about your ascension um, and um, just what that means to us. So I, I pray that as we continue this series um, called Creed, um, based off of the Apostles' Creed, but assuring our faith as we lead up to the next couple of weeks, um, which to, to 
Easter Sunday, that we will have a great celebration. But each and every day that may we have a celebration, even in the midst of everything that's going on around us that isn't so wonderful, we thank you that we have a God who loves us, um, who is with us, that didn't leave us alone, but sent his Holy Spirit to empower and guide us. And for that, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we have several um, things going on here. We're going to go ahead and take a look at these announcements, and then we're going to have um, a, a, a special, we're going to have another video, and then another quick announcement. Okay? Um, one of the things that I, I did want to, a couple things I want to draw attention to, you can see the next time we're doing Paris Foundation is on Easter Sunday. So, um, so thank you again for all your connections and help with that. And I know people would, um, would love for you to help with that. Um, also, you saw the last thing. It said it had the Church Center app. That is a great tool to go ahead. Some of you may have that as you connect and, and um, look and get contacted with, you know, things with church. Um, download it. It's, it's awesome um, to go ahead and, and um, you, get, you get updates and all kinds of other things. So um, we'd love for everybody to get uh, connected on the Church Center app, and there's so many other, other ways that we can do stuff, okay? Um, you saw up there Miriam's table. We've talked about that, how we are, um, you, you have the uh, donation wall. Many of you have been great online and, and in person. We're going to show you a, a quick video, and then uh, the Kiefers are with us today, and I, I believe Susie's going to come up, share a couple brief moments after we watch this, this video.
All right, so Susie's right here. She's going to share a couple brief moments with us about, about just things. And you guys have been helping out. I know you saw on there where they said they went back after two years. We know what happened in the last two years. And, uh, but they, they were not idle. Um, remember contributing, helping to the medical um, thing there. So go ahead, Su Susie. fundraising, we usually do dining outs and things for people that join us monthly for Miriam's Table where we live in, in Lewis and Rehoboth Beach. We weren't able to do that, but God continued to provide because, you know, he said to me the day that we decided we were going to have Miriam's Table, he said to me, you know, this is not your ministry, it's mine, and I will care for it. And I'm always amazed because when I always feel a little bit hesitant about the money, is it going to come in, I get what I call a random check. And I will get a check from some place or somebody that I didn't expect. And God says, I've got this every time. So I want to thank you for that. I thank you for the children. As you see, they're healthy. They're smiling. Uh, my daughter, Miriam, of course, was with me this past summer. And my older daughter, Jacqueline, who hadn't been there since 2012. So we had a wonderful time seeing the staff and the children again. And they're healthy. And we are continuing to work on the idea of the medical center uh, we have the drawings done, all those kinds of things, but it takes a lot of work to get a business plan together for an international country. So thank you for everything and continue to pray for us as we journey on. Thank you. If you want to know more about that, um, the Kiefer's will be here, and I'm, I'm sure they'll be glad to help you connect. And I know some of you are like, oh, wow, that might be cool to even go and, and help out and stuff. So I know they'll give you a lot more information about that kind of stuff. Okay? Sound good? You guys good? Yep. All right. You're like, it's cold again. This is messy. All right, so we are in um, week seven, believe it or not, um, of our series Creed, uh, based off of the Apostles' Creed, talking about what we believe. Remember, again, we're not preaching the Creed. We're preaching about the Word of God. I said that the Creed is kind of like the moon to the sun, that the Bible is the sun giving the Word of God, that light, and that the Creed is just reflecting that light. It's the oldest of the creeds. And today we're going to... Um, we're, uh, we're moving forward in this. Um, in order to do so, we're going to be in, most of the time today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And I'm going to talk about that in a bit. And we've talked about already that God is three in one, the triune God. Uh, we talked about God the Father, um, God the Son in Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit. C.S. Lewis, the great writer and apologist, called it the, the dance of the Spirit. It's the dance that they do. And so, um, but we're going to start kind of in John chapter 14. I'm going to kind of bring, I promise I'll bring this together, or the Holy Spirit will, in my nonsense. But either way, the disciples are, asking Jesus about the nature of his relationship with God the Father that they knew of, or the Godhead, the, the triune God. Um, and Jesus answers this question. He says this from John chapter 14. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am, the, I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Um, in Colossians, the Apostle Paul talks a little bit about this more. And he says, Jesus, I love this statement, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. So basically, if we want to look, know what God looks like, we look to Jesus. We want to know what's important to God, we look to Jesus. Um, God sent Jesus in the world not to condemn the world, but to save it through, through him. Um, so we watch the life of Jesus. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He eats with, he hangs out with, he uh, encourages 
encourages. He spends a lot of his time with sinners, and that to me is comforting. He doesn't spend his time with the religious elite. He doesn't spend his time with the ones who think they've got it all together. Matter of fact, they were some of his biggest problems. Uh, the ones he hung out with were the ones that, be, that the religious elite had problems that he was hanging out with. So we see the heart of God the Father in Jesus the Son. Now in John chapter 12, it continues on here, and he says this. He says, truly, 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 truly. Anytime you see a word given twice, um, your, your translation may have very truly that we give it to give the emphasis. But often in Scripture, when you see a word twice, it is for emphasis. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. Now, that's a stunning promise when you look at that and when you begin to unpack that. And how many believe that Jesus is a liar? Anybody believe that Jesus is a liar? No, Jesus is not a liar. And so that what he says is true. But let's look at what he said here. He cranks up something. He says, you're going to do what I've been doing and even more. Now, I don't know about you. Let's go back to the Gospels. Jesus did some really cool stuff. Jesus healed people who couldn't walk. He caused the blind to see. He raised the dead. And he said, you and I are going to be doing that stuff and more. Hello? Um, I, and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. That is like some powerful thing. So it gives us some questions right now. Um, and so what we're going to do today is we're going to take this kind of concept and we're going to discuss a part of Jesus' life that isn't really elaborated a lot. It's not talked about a lot. And we're going to look at the implications of that. Primarily, um, you know, a, a lot, the crucifixion and the resurrection, there's a lot talked about, preached about, written about, um, both in religious and secular. But one of the areas um, that is not talked about or written about a lot, at least modern time, it was um, in early Christianity is the ascension of Jesus, where Jesus kind of went, whoop, here I go, and um, floated in the air and went to heaven. So we're going to talk about that. Now keep in mind from last week, we were talking about that Jesus physically re resurrected um, and that it's his physical body that resurrected, and he physically ascends and returns to heaven in a physical human body form that was resurrected, and we're going to go spend some time today about that. All right. In the last six weeks, we had a quick rundown about a lot of different things. And, but basically, we've stood and we've um, read the Apostles' Creed together. And we've gone through several different ones. Um, today, we are going to do, He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, I, some versions say sits on the right hand. I don't, I don't like that because, I mean, God's like, hey, get off my hand. Um, I, sorry, it's my brain. Uh, but so I like sits at the right hand. And that is a, the, the right hand. I'm giving my left. Um, the right hand is a sign of authority, all right? Anytime someone is on your right side, that is a position of authority. So Jesus sits there where he rules and reigns. And um, so we're going to see how this aligns with our Christian faith. And that's what we do. When we say the creed, we are aligning with God, um, with, with Jesus. We're saying we pledge allegiance there. And we're also denying the, um, the culture and the, the shifts in culture that are opposed to what God stands for. And in this, the creed helps shape us. It helps disciple us. It helps mold us. It helps to understand how to think. So um, we're going to talk about this today. So what I'd like, if you're willing or able, in the words of James Brown, get on up. And um, we're going to stand and we're going to read the Apostles' Creed together. Here we are. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. Okay. So again, we're going to talk about the, the ascension of Jesus. And what we're going to talk about is a couple of things. We're going to talk about that we can be confident that the same works that Christ did, we will do. And that sounds both scary and really awesome. Um, and we can even do, we're going to be looking at even greater works is what he said. And so Acts chapter 1 is one of the narratives of the ascension of, of Christ. There's found in a couple other places, but we're going, to, we're going to be in Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you have your Bible app or whatever, you want to open that up. Or if you just have the bulletin, um, which you got from in paper or you got it from the QR code up there. Um, you can go ahead and, um, and open up to that, and we're going to be looking at most of those. So let me give you some historical context here. The book of Acts is written by a doctor. His name is Luke. And he um, also wrote a gospel. Anybody know what the gospel is? Okay, if you said Mark, I was going to be really concerned, but I'm really glad that you did that. So many, many theologians, actually, um, when I went to seminary grad school, they actually believe it was like kind of one unit with like two, two chapters, um, two like books that you had. They call it Luke Acts. It's something together since it was written by the same, same person. And he writes for a Roman official. And you'll see his name in a little bit. That Roman official's name is Theophilus. Theophilus. And um, he's trying to win him over to the Christian faith. And he is, um, so we get the chance to see Luke, this doctor, go ahead and write where he said, I've, I've researched a lot and here it is. Here's what I put down. Here's what I've gathered from people who were close to him. Here's what I've seen in my, in my own life. And he did that in the Gospels. Then he goes ahead and he's sharing about the move of the Holy Spirit in the history of first century of the church and how it spread like wildfire into the ancient world. So what we're going to do, we're going to read this section of scripture here and then we're going to unpack it. All right, so here we go. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all, uh, um, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So if you look at the end of Luke, you will get some of that at the beginning. He unpacks it a little bit more. And, um, after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them. Remember we talked about that last week. He descended to hell and then he arose from the dead. Here he is. Um, and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was doing what? Eating. See, that's important because that shows the physical resurrection of Jesus. He was eating. Uh, ghosts don't say, boo, I'm hungry. Uh, Jesus needed um, food because his, his physical body was hungry. So he said, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave this command. Here it is. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you going at this time to going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the time or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
After this, he was taken up. So here's Jesus, okay? Jesus is eating some fish or something, you know, I don't know. And then all of a sudden, he, they ask him these questions, and he goes, and they, he says, um, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, ends of the earth, and they start going, whoop, starts floating up in the sky. Um, before, taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hit him from their sight. So just imagine you're sitting there watching. Jesus is like, uh, ends of the earth, whoop, and you're like, and he goes up, and they're looking at a cloud. Then all of a sudden, they were looking intently at the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, um, reference to angels, and said, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? In other words, I, I love this because they watch, I, I don't blame them because I'm eating with somebody. Number one, he's resurrected from the dead. Number two, he's um, been eating fish with us and popping in and out of doors and showing us um, his hands and feet. And then all of a sudden, he is instructing us and teaching us. And then all of a sudden, he eats some fish and then whoop, takes on up in the sky. Um, and they're standing there like, I really believe if God hadn't sent the angels, they would have probably died standing there like this, looking in the sky. Um, and he says, the same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, so that's where he ascended to, will come back the same way. So Jesus is going to whoop, come back down through the clouds. Um, you have see, uh, the way you've seen him go into heaven. So this is Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Now, a couple of things that we see here. The ascension of Jesus does several things, and it shows several things to us. It shows that Jesus, in a physical resurrected body, is ascending into heaven. And what is he doing that for? He is returning to his throne, his place of rule and reign, at the right hand of God. And by doing that, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. Two things there. So he's at the right hand, the place of authority of God on his throne, rules and reigns, and he sends the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's really cool about this. I'm going to use the term today, and you're going to think I'm really smart. He, he is leaving the space-time continuum. Don't I sound really intelligent there when I use that? You, you put continuum on the end of anything. You can say like Big Mac continuum and you sound intelligent. But um, let, me, let me explain what that is because I didn't know. Um, but this, I, I kind of knew, but I didn't know. Space is three-dimensional. Up, down, left, right, forward, backward. Okay, I'm doing good for you really smart people right now. Um, and time is one dimension. So there's like a four dimensions that we have in this creation, in this world. Before the ascension, in order for, for Jesus to be the creation, when he, he, he came down, was born, we had Christmas, all that kind of stuff, um, he was a physical man. So he was bound by the confines of time and space by, um, by continuum, by the time continuum. In other words, he was the three, in the three-dimensional and the time, the fourth-dimensional area. Everybody following me? Are you? If not, just nudge the person next to you and, and, and they'll tell you. All right? So if I wanted to be in the presence of Jesus, if I wanted to ask Jesus a question, if I wanted to be ministered or healed by Jesus, I had to go where Jesus was. You guys aren't excited about this, I can say. But I had to go where Jesus was. So in Capernaum, when Jesus is in St. Peter's house and the paralytic, they want to get their friend to him and it's too, too full, in order to get him healed, they had to rip off the roof and lower him down to the feet of Jesus. Um, the woman with the issue of blood had to crawl through the street, reach out to Jesus, had to be where he was because by being the creation, the creator becoming the creation, he was bound by this space-time continuum like you and I are. Now, after the ascension or at the ascension, although he is in physical form, since he rose from the dead, 
and, and is ascended to heaven and is at the right hand of God the Father. Now, Jesus rules and reigns in a celestial or universal way. No longer is he bound by space or time. That's why he can go whoop and float right on up. That's why he can pop indoors and things like that. That's why, more importantly, he can be everywhere and his presence is everywhere because he's no longer bound by space or time or any of the other rules. This is why Christians have no Mecca. All right. Now we have we go we've gone to Israel and, and there's great places and your your life is enriched. I know people who've been there. It's just amazing um, to see certain things. But um, we don't believe that the spirit of Jesus is more powerful in Bethlehem or Jerusalem or Nazareth or or any other place in the world because. Jesus is not bound by that, but the presence of Christ is as strong there as it is right here now in our hearts. And, and so the space continuum is now removed by Jesus um, at, that once blocked the physical, blocked the presence of Christ by the physical. Jesus has overcome all these things. So the disciples begin to ask this question in verse 6. And they say, um, they ask this question. And they gathered around and said, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, I don't know about your church background or particularly your Old Testament. You may vaguely recall sitting in Sunday school where people took these little felt felt board and slapped little paper guys on there and they walked them across and said, this is Abraham and this is like a stone rolled away. And Anybody remember felt boards? Okay. Um, so you might have that. Or your parents, um, uh, your mother, father, your grandmother, grandfather, an aunt and uncle, or someone sat on the side of your bed at bedtime and began to read you stories and said, you know, uh, honey, this is the story of how God drowned everyone on earth. And um, they were all killed except for Noah and his family. Good night. You know, I mean, have nice nightmares. Um, and we kind of did that, those kind of things. Um, but anyway, um, a real quick Old Testament primer that's going to be really, really uh, short. God creates Israel. Israel was not a people. God went to Abram or Abraham. Um, he was from Cush, which is in modern day Iraq. So if you really want to mess your, mess your head up, that the first Jew was actually an Iraqi. Go ahead and mess your, mess your mind up that way. Um, but out of the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God formed a people known as Israel. Right? Um, and he formed them. And God gave Israel prophets. He gave them covenant promises. He gave them the law of Moses um, that Moses provided. He uh, gave a sacrificial system. And he did all this. And the main reason for this was that not like, not that God loves Israel best. It was that God wanted Israel to be a light to all the other nations. That through Israel, God would see these two things. And these are in your bulletin. And, and this is also why God, what God does with his church as we are now grafted into that covenant with Israel. Um, he, that, we get, that all the world can see a right relationship with God that was separated by sin. Um, and that is what we call the vertical issue between God and man. That there's this vertical issue that we have a separation because of sin between God and humanity. All right, everybody follow along? Then the other thing is that we would have a right relationship with our neighbors, with others, with one another here. Um, we talked the other week about the one another's in the Bible. That, um, and when Jesus was asked what the most important uh, commandment was, it was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It is the vertical relationship, and it's lived out in the horizontal. Isn't that interesting? It's in the shape of a cross. 
Right. Um, so so uh, we have the vertical and the horizontal relationship. And the disciples are asking this question. Is all that stuff over now? That's what they're asking. They're asking, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, will the horizontal external wrestling always be here or is it done? Like will the Romans rule forever? Will we have that problem or is it taken care of? Um, will we be burdened by the personal conflicts that we have? between? Will we have to deal with the conflicts between the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Or can I say it now? Will we have the problems between the Catholics and the Protestants? Will we have the problems between the Baptists and the Methodists and, and, the, Pro, and the Presbyterians? Will we have those issues? Issues with the Pentecostals and everything. Well, we have those still. Um, well, we have the problems within our families. Well, we have the problems with people at work. Is that done now? Or will the horizontal conflicts always be here is the question they're asking. And then they say, well, wait a second. What about the vertical um, internal wrestling that we go through? Will there no longer be confusion about what God is doing? Um, Will you finally make us right now so that we don't have to do this sacrificial, that we don't have to do this? Can we be right with God now? And so we know this question very well in our own lives. And I'm going to show you something real quick if you'll help me out here. If you profess to be a Christian, I want you to help me out here. Um, how many of you Christians have some internal conflicts? And raise your hand, raise them real high, that you have some doubts and frustrations, that you have some fears and some anxieties, that you have some temptations. Everybody? If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you're not raising your hand, you're lying and there's, you got another problem. Um, but if you look around, it's unanimous. We all have issues. Okay, we all have issues. Um, how many of you, even though you're Christians, have some people in your life that you just can't get along with? Anybody? All right. Some hands even went up higher that time. If you look around them. The, the disciples want to know this. They want to know. When does my internal and my external conflict stop? When does this end? Is it now that you're going to make everything new? And Jesus' answer, I find, is extremely fascinating. He starts like he always does by, you know, basically slapping them on the wrist. And he says this. He said, it's not for you to know the times and dates the Father is set by his own authority. I want to stop there for a second. I am so annoyed by... Christian people who love the Lord, who decide to tell you what time God's going to, and Jesus is going to return. Yeah. I'm annoyed by it. Because Jesus himself said, I don't know, Father set them. Here he says, they said, is it now? And he says, it ain't your business. And if it isn't Peter, James, and John's business, it's not Eli up the roads. You know what I mean? So we waste time on that. So if anybody, I've always said, if anybody tells you, this is the day that Jesus is returning, go have a good time. Because that's not going to be the day. Because Jesus said, no one will know the hour and the time. And I'm just so annoyed by people who waste time, energy, and pull a lot of people in and take a lot of money and a lot of things for people who, when Jesus said, it's not any of your business. All right, so don't follow that. That's not, that's not in Scripture. But he says, but here's what you need to worry about. Don't worry about when I'm returning. Just worry about, just get to know this. But you will receive power. You will receive power. When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you then are to use that power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a Bible rule here that, if, remember I said, truly, truly, if there's anything that's said multiple times, it's really important. And Luke has already, he's trying to show us the importance. He's already talked about the Holy Spirit once, and he's talked about it again. In 
uh, Acts um, 1 verse 4, Luke is explaining to Theophilus that Jesus had taught his disciples. And he said, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, said, hey, you know, stay here in Jerusalem and wait for the gift my father has promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have somebody said, hey, I've got a gift coming for you at the house. Don't go anywhere. It'll be there today. How many of you aren't going anywhere? Even if you have plans, you're going to be, I'm going to be a little bit late. Because we like gifts. How many like getting gifts? I like good gifts. You know, I don't like socks and underwear. I can buy that myself. You know what I mean? But, but I mean, like really, really good gifts I like to get. And I wait for them. Somebody says, hey, I got something for you. You go, yeah, like your whole mind is like, what is that? And Jesus has told them about this. So Luke starts to put this together. And in John 14, they've asked the question, you know, we got to ask the question, why will we be able to do what Jesus has done and even more? How is that possible? Simply because when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sat at the place of authority and he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to you and me. So he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now the presence of Christ everywhere and is available to all at any given moment. So it's available to us in our room, in the room, in our hearts. The presence of Christ is here. So he sends the Holy Spirit, but that still leaves some questions for it. We've got the Holy Spirit, but if you look in the mirror and you look around, there's a lot of hypocritical and ridiculous things that we do. Like, for instance, I've still got internal strife and struggle. Um, there are still people I cannot stand. Um, there are, you know, but if that Holy Spirit came, I thought this nonsense would go away. So let's talk a little bit about this. And we're not, we're not going to go deep because in a couple of weeks we're going to have, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, and so um, a little bit more. So if you're a Christian, you're a Christian because the Holy Spirit opened your hearts to understand and believe. Here's what I'm saying in that. You did not save yourself. Ain't nobody can save themselves. The Holy Spirit opened your eyes, opened your mind, opened your hearts. And so, for instance, if you had a salvation experience that you came to Christ, in the modern church, I'd say you were probably at an event where it, it might have been a bigger event, like the old Billy Graham Crusades, where, where they started playing Just As I Am and people accepted Christ um, in that way after he gave a, a powerful te a testimony and shared um, the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Or you were me meeting with a friend who was telling you about Jesus and something just kind of clicked. And then all of a sudden, this whole thing became clear to you that I need a Savior and Jesus, you were it. And maybe it happened over a period of time. Um, maybe it was in a moment. But you wanted to give your life to Christ, as we say. You wanted to open your heart. Um, maybe a pastor or a friend or a Sunday school teacher or somebody who was at one of these events, um, good and godly people, said, hey, I'm going to give you the words. Repeat after me. And some of you may have said what was known as the sinner's prayer. Um, many people have, have done that for, for years. And they helped give you, put words to what you were feeling in that moment. The Bible tells us that we are then sealed by the Holy Spirit. So now the Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of me and that immediately reconciles me to God by the blood of Jesus. We covered that in the death and resurrection that Jesus pays our debt in full. Everybody following along? I'm throwing a lot at you. Um, now that the Holy Spirit dwells within us, the vertical relationship with God is reconnected. That was severed. It is fixed. It's reconnected. That doesn't mean that it's going to have moments that we have sin and it's going to disconnect and we go forgiveness. And then Jesus says, hey, I paid for it. 
Um, the horizontal stuff should, let me say should, start to work out if we're living and keeping in step with the Spirit. Everybody with me? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that the reason why this is not good and the reason why this is not good is because we are not living by the Holy Spirit's direction. Um, and so, um, so that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's kind of a universal renewal. Now, ha- what happens here? In Galatians chapter 5, verse, two, uh, verse 22 and 23. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Galatia. And he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know that an apple tree is an apple tree? It has apples, the fruit. How do you know that a pear tree is a pear tree? How do you know that a grape tree is a grape tree? There is no such thing, right? Okay, so, um, but how, you know, you, what I'm saying is you know what that is. You know a tree by its fruit. All right. What is happening here with the salvation experience when we open up our lives to Jesus and we have that, whether we said a sinner's prayer, whether we just said one day, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. I need a Savior. You're it. Or whatever it is. When that happens to us, we become a new tree. Because when we are, are not a Christian, you can tell how we are by our fruit. We bear lots of other fruits, lots of other bad things. We're, we're, we're angry, we have hatred, we have racism, we have all these other kinds of things that exist um, when we don't have the spearness. But if we are Christians, we should bear the fruit. What is the fruit? Here's what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no the law. So as a Christian, if I am bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which lives within me, and I am a now Holy Spirit tree, then those things should be the fruit that is dangling off my branches. Everybody got it? So um, in this, we, we have this kind of list. And so, but often... We're really good at justifying things. Remember I said last week we're the best people that lie to ourselves, um, that we do that. And so what we do is we look at these areas and we say, well, I'm strong in one area, but I'm weak in another. In other words, I'm, I'm pretty kind, but I have no patience at all. And, and I'm kind of good, but my self-control is, is way out there. It's, it's just not there. And and so, but this is the fruit of the Spirit. And if you really look at th- this list, we, we can't really have one without the other when we look at this. Like, for instance, um, can you really have joy if you don't love? I mean, like, have the love of God in you. Can you really have peace if you don't have joy? Can you really have patience if you don't have kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness? Can you really be gentle if you don't have peace? Or if you don't, can you really have self-control if you got none of the other ones? No, you can't. And so we can, we can say and we can lie to ourselves and say, yeah, you know, I'm good at this, but I'm not good at that. But chances are we are not good at any of them if we're not good at a couple of these things. So how can we, can, how can our hearts be at perfect peace? Like for instance, how can I, how can I live at perfect peace or in joy or in patience if like as soon as I leave here, I'm, I'm riding down the road and I'm in a hurry to go someplace. And, and I say to myself, if this dude does not speed up that car, I am going to kill everybody right now. Um, or if she looks at me like that again, I'm going to go smack her across the face. You see what I mean? So we, we uh, thank you, Jesus. And, and we, we do that, and that's how we, how we live. So like, for instance, you know, here we go. We have some fruits here. All right. Um, anybody know what that is? 
mango. There we go. We got a mango and uh, we got an apple. So like, I mean, uh, you know, like for instance, how many, how many like mangoes? Anybody like mangoes? All right. Here, here you go, Becky. Here you go. You have a mango. You got it. Good thing you lifted that hand up quick. All right. Um, and um, does anybody like these? Kiwi? Anybody like kiwis? Here you go. Kiwi. Anybody not like kiwis? Anybody not like them? Here you go, Jen. You want a kiwi? Hey, you like kiwis? No. Um, so um, anybody, not, anybody really does not like kiwis? Jen, here you go. There you go. All right, there you go. She didn't like them. Now, um, uh, anybody, anybody like apples? Anybody not like apples? All right. Who likes apples? Okay, here we go. I don't know if I can get it back there. I don't know. Here we go. <laughs> it's, it's spring training, so here you go, Scott. Um, here we go. Um, so you like apples. Any, anybody, um, anybody like grapefruits? Anybody doesn't like grapefruits? Who doesn't like grapefruits? Here you go. Um, here you go, Scott. I don't want to hit anybody else. Here you go. Um, here you go. Grapefruits. Pass them down. Um, so, any, oh, anybody like oranges? I'm going to tell you, this is like the most amazing orange ever. It's, it's a sumo orange. Anybody heard of them? Sumo oranges. They're no seeds. They peel off real easy, and they're super sweet. Mm, sumo oranges. You like them? Here you go, Betty. All right, so there you go. Um, so you like those. Anybody, anybody like, not like oranges? Anybody not like, anybody, anybody like cantaloupes? <laughs> anybody, anybody not like cantaloupe? Who does not like cantaloupe? I know. Like uh, All right, so, so here, here you go. You, you ready? You got it? Awesome. All right. A- Adriana, what don't you like? Uh, a lot of things. <laughs> like out of here. Apples, oranges. You don't like oranges? Here you go. All right. So what I'm saying here, and Jen, what did you like? What did I like? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, here you go. Mango. Here you go, Jen. Ready? All right, there we go. So, I mean, there's certain things I like. Like, I, I, I really, 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 really like chocolate things, all right? And that's not on the fruit. Um, but I, I, also, I also really like those, like I heard on the radio about those sumo oranges. They're really, really good. I, I don't like messing with regular oranges. I don't like... I don't, I don't like apples. I think the best thing, I, don't, I like apple pie, but I don't like apples like the first, I think the first bite is the best and I think the, the skin is disgusting. But what I'm saying is um, there are those of us who, who like to have joy, but we don't like to be patient. There are those of us who like, like to be uh, kind, but we have no self-control. And th- th- what I'm saying here is we don't get a chance to pick what fruits we like when it comes to the Spirit. We don't have that opportunity because it's His fruit, not ours. And so that's kind of where we, we are in many, many ways. And um, so if we, if we lack these, we're probably going to lack another that's in there. So we need to grasp that this helps clear our horizontal relationships, that they begin to start working them out when we live in this way. Because people are going to test your love. They're going to test your joy. They're going to test your peace. They're going to test your patience. They're going to test your kindness. They're going to test your goodness. They're going to test your faithfulness to them. They're going to test your gentleness. And boy, they're going to try to see if you have self-control. And so, but that's our horizontal relationship. That is a sinful horizontal relationship. But when we live by the Spirit and we bear the fruit of the Spirit, then those things begin to work themselves out. And then we work this out with, with God the Father. Our vertical relationship will be better. So internally, we, but we recognize that internally, we struggle to love at times. And externally, we struggle to do good deeds. And I'm aware that those things don't come to us easily. They seem counter to us. And so, um, 
Like, it's crazy to me that it's, it's very easy for me to show grace you know, um, to some people, um, but not to some others. Anybody there? This is my confession moment. There's, I mean, there's some people, I don't know what it is, but it's like the river dancing on my last nerve. You know what I mean? Like, you know, remember river dance or tap dancing? That's what, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you, you see them and you're like, it just does something to you right away. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if they take care of themselves. I don't know what's the way they talk. I don't know. It's just that I don't know what, I don't know what it is. But then I'll, I'll, I'll feel bad about that because ultimately they're men and women created in the image of God. And in those moments, what I have to do when I, when I go to the fruit of the Spirit and I recognize that that fruit that's coming out when I feel that way is not the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of Jack and its sinful nature, then I can repent and I can confess and I recognize, and here's the big thing, I recognize I haven't arrived yet to where God wants me to be. I haven't arrived at that point and I haven't, I haven't um, I'm not there yet. And, um, but I just remember, like, I accepted Christ at the age of five, and I just kind of thought that sometimes, man, some of these things I'm dealing with, I thought they'd be better after 45, almost 46 years. Um, and, um, and in many ways they have, uh, but um, there's aspects of my soul that I just need to work out, and I constantly have a battle within me. And over the years, I've been really blessed um, to have... Um, you know, particularly, I've had women too, but, but for, in my role, I've had a lot of, a lot of um, elderly men who, um, who were in their 70s and 80s um, who have encouraged me, and that after 50 or 60 years of following Christ, they said, hey, Jack, I'm still dealing with, with some of this stuff. And, and, but what I recognize is that God, God still prunes. He still prunes those areas away. And I can, when he does, I have a greater faith and a greater faithfulness um, to serve him. So it's in this internal and external thing that we have. And often we can get discouraged uh, in this, particularly when we, and it's discouraging when we go ahead and we put Jesus to like this genie in a bottle that um, is meant to take away all our pain and difficulties. Because in our world, we are seduced by comfort. It is the seduction of the suburbs that we want comfort, we want space, and we want no difficulty. And, um, and we buy into this little by little by little by little. And externally, we may look really good, but inside, um, we, we're, we're just burning everything to the ground. It's all like smoke and mirrors um, that we have all kinds of sort of masks that we put on, masks of fear and anxiety, and, and we're internally and externally in trouble. The reality of the gospel through the ascension of Christ is that Jesus ascended to a place of rule and reign and sent to us the Holy Spirit. And that God is working through this mess and using it. And um, it's not that we don't have difficulty, but it's that it's proof of, a, of God working out those things in our lives. So we can grow in godliness and develop the fruits of the Spirit. You know, fruit, you don't just go ahead and plant a an apple tree and then go, whoo, look at those apples pop out. It doesn't happen that way. It takes time to grow. You have to nourish it. You have to keep things away from it so for, for eating it. So this list that we have of love, joy, peace, patience, we went through them all. It's all here. Isn't that the, doesn't that sound like a better way to live? Wouldn't you like, wouldn't you like when somebody cuts you off to live still with joy and patience and goodness? I mean, wouldn't you like when, when somebody says something about you, say, it doesn't matter, it matters what God says about me, and just move on in those things. Yet we want, we, you know, we grow from degree of glory to degree of glory, where we want 40 degrees of glory right away. Um, and, but it, sometimes it moves very, very slow. So we have to trust in the Lord in all these things. The second thing the ascension of Christ does is this. 
reveals to us the gap between of where or who we are and where or what we will be. Where and who we are and where and or what we will be. Jesus' ascension is an image of where we're going. And I know I'm not there yet. Um, last week we talked about the resurrection. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a few weeks. And I am not resurrected. I told you about this body that is breaking down last week and hurts and all kinds of other things. Um, it is not resurrected. Um, but in the ascension, I see my future. And we talked about 1 Corinthians where it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those who um, are here about his return will be transformed in, in the twinkling of an eye. We talked about to be absent from the body is present with the Lord spiritually. But our bodies get remade, renewed, a spiritual body. And we meet them in the air. And I love the fact that we meet them in the air because I love Superman and I've always wanted to fly. And I get to fly. I love that. I cannot wait to fly. I mean, really, like... I'm going to, I hope God gives me a cape. I want a cape. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that we have. And, and so what this does, though, in knowing that I'm where I'm not supposed to be yet, and I'm not who I'm supposed to be yet, creates kind of a holy discontentment. And it really should. Um, and let me unpack that real quick. Discontentment. When we're discontented with God, it's usually that we, we have an accusation of, against God. God, you didn't do this, or you didn't give this to me. Or God, you should have done and given this. Or God, I deserve this, but you didn't. And where were you when? I mean, we have these discontentments with God. That, that is an unholy discontentment. But a holy discontentment is this. If Jesus is limitless and never-ending, and he's that limitless and never-ending well of blessing and, and of fruit, then I want more of it. That, For instance, I want more of his presence. There have been times in my life where the presence of God has been so powerful, I'm like, whoa, I want to stay here. I just want to stay here and live my whole life in that presence of God. I want more of his power. I want more of his direction. I want to get more serious about growing in righteousness. I want to love him and others more. I want to be transformed faster than I'm being. In other words, if there's more, I want it now, God. And that is a holy discontentment that we have here. David had it when he was anxiously crying out, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants or longs after you my God. Um, or he also continued, he, he's in David, the king of Israel. It's a mess. He's flanked on every side. And um, his own home is a train wreck. His family's a train wreck. And here's what he says. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. How many of you woke up today and said, only one thing I want today, God, is that I can live at Haven Community Church for the rest of my days, that I can sit there, I can sleep there. Oh, God, that's what I want. That's what David's saying. That's what David's saying because he just loved being in the presence of God, but, and he knew he hadn't gotten there yet, but he only had moments of that. The dysfunction in his home could have been made right if he was right with God. And he says, let me look upon your beauty. Let me get to know you more. Let me love you deeper. If we take these two realities serious, we take these two realities serious, that Jesus returns to his throne at the right hand of God the Father and sends the Holy Spirit, then that seals our hearts with the Holy Spirit, transforms our lives, and we grow in the fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit. And if it reveals the gap of them not there yet, we have this holy discontentment about not being who we are, who we need to be, and, and who we want to be, 
Then how does that work when we plug it into the four things we've been doing every week? Symmetry, um, clarity, community, counsel, or advice. Let's look at symmetry. Remember, once again, symmetry, I don't have a pair, um, but it was upside-down pair with two toothpicks, you know, not doing leg work at the gym. We want balance. We want, we want it to balance off. So what we see here is some of us need to have a type of holy discontentment that will make us more serious about focusing on our vertical relationship with God that we need to put to death more of the things that we miss the mark, our sins with God, that we need to put those things to death and get our relationship with God right. We need to be more hunger, hungry for righteousness. The Apostle Paul was, was pretty amazing in many different ways. And when he talks about his relationship with God, he says several things. When he talks about his relationship with God, and he did some really awesome stuff, he uses words like this, strive, toil, labor, press on. And we may need to develop this type of symmetry that's necessary to, to strive to put um, sin to death in our lives and by laboring and pressing on and toiling toward our godliness. That's not natural. It's not natural for us to live those ways. And some of us may just need to be wo woken up out of our, our lull of comfort um, and other of us need to learn to just fully rest in the finished work of Christ. That whatever you have, you say, oh, well, that God can't love me because... Just you, get rid of that statement out of your vocabulary. Because he already knows what you've done, and he still loves you, and he paid the price in full for it. Now me, I'm, I, li I like to share some things about me at times. I mean, I, am, I know this is going to be a shock to you, but sometimes I am, I'm not always the kind of husband, father, friend, pastor, name whatever title that I should be. Because sometimes I'm just tired. Sometimes I'm grumpy. Sometimes I'm worn down. I don't know, maybe one of those people that just get on my nerves came up to me. I don't know what it is. But um, I'm, sometimes I'm just not that person that I need to be. And with that, I can do a couple different things. I can strive to be better in all those areas. And here's how it works. I need to recognize that even though I may have failed and, and uh, been bad, I can rest in the reality that God's love for me is not based conditionally. It's not based in me being better in things. It's not, um, but even as I'm striving and toiling to do better in some of those, he still loves me. And his grace, his undeserved favor, is enough, sufficient for me. So we need to understand that there is a pursuit, a run here. There's a striving, there's a toil, there's a labor. And, and then we get to, but we can rest in, while we're, while we're doing that, we can rest in the certainty that I am in the finished work of Christ, no matter what happens. So clarity, that brings symmetry. Let's look at clarity. I, uh, one of the pastoral privileges that I've had in ministry over 20, um, 26, almost 27 years is that I get placed in situations, I get to enter into the heartbreak or the most trying circumstances of people's lives. I get in some of the most joyous ones, but I'm also in some of the most difficult um, of people's lives. And, and um, so if, if I know, um, if you're ending up in a hospital, um, you'll usually see me pop in. Uh, at times, um, if that's what you want, if I know about that. Before surgeries, I'll, I'll often pray with you, um, or I'll, I'll be there afterwards. Um, uh, we're, we're often there when the ambulance leaves or making some kind of contact. I have cried with you. I will sit with you. Um, I will listen to you and help advise you based off of God's word, and I will just be present with you. And one of the things that the ascension shows us with great clarity is simply this. Regardless of your situation or what you've walked in here with, and I'm not naive, everybody walks in here with something, and lately it seems like everything's big, um, God already knows those things. 
and you've not been abandoned. The ascension of, of Christ tells us that Jesus is on his throne where he sent the Holy Spirit so that pursuit may be known everywhere. And the reason why it's so beautiful with clarity is that you have, no matter what you have done, no matter what you're struggling with, you have not been abandoned by God. As a matter of fact, by Jesus being at the throne and sending the Holy Spirit, he is more present and ever present than he has ever been. Jesus lived in a physical body, in a physical world. His family thought he was crazy. Anybody got family issues? Okay. You got family issues? Jesus understands family issues. Um, Jesus understands the pain of grief and loss. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He, his friend Lazarus was dead and he cried. He wept. Even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead, that, that pain hit his life. So Jesus understands what it's like to lose a good friend and somebody you love and care about. Jesus was lied about and betrayed by, by a close friend. Anybody been stabbed in the back by somebody you care about? Jesus physically suffered. Anybody have any physical ailments or suffering? That's why, as I said this for several weeks, the Bible tells us that we have an empathetic high priest because we haven't been abandoned. We haven't been forsaken. Because God understands and is compassionate toward our losses, our sorrows, and our pain. Third thing, community. What we're saying is we're not there yet. So we're in a process. Meaning that if we are looking at our lives and looking at the fruit of the Spirit, then we recognize that we are in stages of fruitfulness. Some of us have tiny little berries. Very fruitful at all. They just kind of sprouted from that little flower thing. And others are growing fruit, but it's not fully ripe. And other of us are, are so weighty and just have a, a plethora of fruit. So what, this is a process of what we call, here's a technical term, sanctification, that we're getting to be more like Christ. We're, we're putting more of the fruit, that more we display of the fruit of Christ, the more that people will see Jesus in you and me. And, and as that happens, we're growing and we're growing. We're just not there yet. You ever, you, you ever look at a tree and you say, man, that looks good, and you pull it off and you eat it, and it's, it's like... Pfft awful. We did that. I did that to eight people in Israel. I think uh, it was when, uh, yeah, it was when Kitty and Debbie were there. I, I like olives. Anybody like olives? And there was these black olives hanging off a tree and they looked good. And I pulled it off and I put it in my mouth and it was like, pfft, it was horrible. And I was like, hey, guys, and my hands were purple. And I was like, hey guys, look, olives, pick one. They're awesome. And what did you do? You took one. They were awful um, because they needed to go ahead and be fully ripe and be cured and all that other kind of stuff. And then they become delicious. Some of us are in those processes of life. And if it's true that we're not there yet, and you're not, I'm not there yet, you're not there yet, and others aren't there yet, then it makes sense that we have some horizontal conflicts in our lives. Um, and it should make us, though, more gracious and forgiving toward others to work this out. And I don't know why there's specific people that are difficult to extend grace to, um, and other people real easy, but here's a discipline that I'm trying to work on. Um, watch your mind concerning other Christians. If you're meditating on their weakness, you are sinning against God. And there are so many people that call themselves Christians that love to be an expert on the weaknesses of their brothers and sisters. God has not called us to be an expert of weaknesses, but in the strengths of our brothers and sisters to build one another up. And it's difficult uh, to do that um, because once we see, focus on the strengths, and it's difficult to despise somebody that you can see the work of God in. Um, real quick, as we're winding this down here today, I've got a couple more things um, as we're winding down. But um, uh, counsel. 
because I'm aware that I'm not yet there or I'm not what I will be yet, I will, be, I, I, I will not be surprised when I blow it, when I mess up. Um, I'm going to tell you, you're going to mess up. You're going you're to mess it up bad. Um, and, and so um, one of the reasons why I often share honestly is because I want to let you know that I am very messed up too. Um, and I'm well, but one of the things is I'm well aware that no matter whether I have um, college degrees, no matter whether I have a master's of divinity, no matter whether I've been a pastor for 26, 27 years, um, whatever it may be, that I am fully aware of the fact that I still sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, I've always hated, and that's in a strong term, and I mean it, when um, my fellow clergy act like they are something different than they're not because they are sinners saved by the grace of God as well. And, and what I want you to know is um, when I mess up, when I'm not a good enough husband or father or pastor or friend or whatever else, then I get the opportunity to mirror the gospel to my family, to my friends, to the church as well. Um, I get to apologize to them. I get to commit to what I can do to work harder to be the man that God has called me to be. Uh, I, get, I get to extend forgiveness and show forgiveness to my children, my wife, my family, my friends, my, my church. And it helps me not to be paralyzed by guilt and shame. It, it often helps me fight those things to say it's useless. Why bother? Um, I, I've already blown it. It's too late. Or what, I, just, I just give up. I have to stop being surprised. And you have to stop being surprised that the fact you're going to mess this thing up. Um, and you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I've, I've been living with me for almost 51 years. And, you know, like, I, it, but I shouldn't be surprised because that's like a 20-year-old being surprised by me going, I mean, you know, like about four months, the kids are like, yeah, that's, that's good seeing that, you know. Um, and, and we've got to stop. And this is, I'm preaching to the choir right here. I'm preaching to the mirror right here. We have to stop giving in to the paralysis that guilt and shame brings. Because it has been paid for in the, Christ, in the cross of Christ. Everything. Everything. Um, and that's how we counsel ourselves, but it's also how we counsel one another in the midst of that, that's been paid for. So just imagine if someone shares something with you and they say, you know, I've been a horrible, I've been a horrible wife or a husband and I've been a horrible mother or father or whatever else. And you answer like this, well, you know, what I have done or what I would do is, you know, I've read this great book on marriage and I wrote a blog about it called Seven Steps for Losers to Get Their Life Right. Um, and in between my leaping of tall buildings in a single bound and not getting my cape caught, but letting it blow in the wind, I mean, what does that do to you? It shoves you away and compounds guilt and compounds shame. But the proper response is, thank you for sharing that with me. You know, I've wrestled with this. And here's where I'm needing help and love and forgiveness. And here's where I need to grow in the fruits of the Spirit. And here's, because I'm, I'm human and I fall short of God's glory, and God already knows but let's work this out this way and this way, all right? Last thing, an invitation to the life of the ascension is not one of just blessing, but it's a life of burden. Why? What do you mean, Jack? Because once we begin to put on more of Christ, then we begin to have a burden and feel sadness for the brokenness of this world like Jesus feels. We belong to share the good news with people who will be deaf to it. We want to stand in the gap of people who are hurting, 
And we want to join that, that same question that the disciples said, hey, is now the time? Is it, is it now? How long are we going to wait? Come on, God. One of the, one of the uh, cool things about the ascension is at the end of all this, um, one of the other accounts of the ascension comes from Matthew. And Jesus um, gave us what we like to call the Great Commission. Um, and I love the term there because the Great Commission is a co-mission, that we are in mission not by ourselves but with others and Christ. Um, with that, that we have, we have a, a mission um, vertically and horizontally. And here's um, the Great Commission that's here, up here. Jesus came to them and said, all authority, there's that power, right? All authority has been, on, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. I love that he says, therefore, go. You notice that removes all comfort. You don't, he doesn't say, go sit. He says, um, therefore, go and make, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And here's the commission part here. Here's, here's because Jesus ascended to the Father. Here's what he says. And surely, and I know those of you who are airplane fans say, stop calling me Shirley. Um, sorry, ADHD. Um, but, um, and surely I am with you how long? Always. Always. To the very end of the age. Jesus is here. Because he sent the Holy Spirit sent the Holy Spirit. And that's why we can go ahead and say he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, so that we receive the Holy Spirit to guide, direct, and empower us each and every day. Amen? All right, let's stand on up. Father, I, I thank you for an opportunity to let the Word of God speak to us. For those who aren't Christians and aren't sure what to think about any of this, Holy Spirit, I just uh, pray that you would do the work of illumination and giving clarity and direction. That you would lift any of the fog that would keep them away from seeing you and that you'll shine your light in our hearts and help us to see encourage believers this morning to stir us in our idleness, to encourage the weakness, to grow in the Holy Spirit's fruit in our lives, to not be discouraged by, uh, by the paralysis of guilt and shame, but God, that we can receive forgiveness and love and strength, and that we can live out the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And may we recognize that in everything, we're not doing it under our own weak strength, but you are with us always. So God, right now, as um, we take time to give back to you in, in tithe and offerings, and if you're visiting with us today, you're our guest, we do not expect you to give at all. But for those who are giving, uh, we ask for your Holy Spirit to be upon these gifts, to multiply and use them, to further your ministry in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Not for our glory, not for Haven Community Church, but for the God that we love and serve. And for those of you who need time to just spend time with Jesus and he's, the Holy Spirit's tugging on your hearts, there's going to be people up front to pray with you and to be here with you. So God, move right now in this place. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
say this mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard that there is no way the tide will never change they haven't seen what you can do there is power in your name so much power in your From the impossible, 
All right, everyone, again, have a great week in the Lord, and, and may you go ahead and just, um, just recognize that we are not alone. We're not abandoned, but we have the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God who's here with us. And go be fruity people. God bless.